Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. Podcast, where we look at world events through the lens of character and faith and leadership. Great to have you with me. I want to do something a little bit different in this episode because we're coming up on Christmas and I want to talk about Christmas just for a little while. People have different views of Christmas and some Christians particularly are concerned about celebrating Christmas and uh, I have a different view. And so I want to talk about it, talk a little history, talk a little tradition and see if I can add to your holiday celebration. I'll tell you frankly that Christmas means a great deal to me. And originally uh, it meant a great deal to me because I was a military brat. I grew up in the home of an army officer, as I've said many times in this podcast, and we moved around the world and sometimes would often would be in a different house almost every year. And so more than the house, home to me was the family traditions our rituals, our rhythms, and Christmas was chief of those. It was a great time. My mother would do a beautiful job decorating the house and my father, who was a, a warrior, you know, a high-ranking officer and a warrior, had been to war many times, uh, shifted from being General Patton to being, you know, Santa Claus and read scripture in the home and cooked. And it was just a wonderful time for all of us. And as I got a little bit older, uh, I became a Christian and I really loved the narrative in the Bibles, uh, in our Bibles, about the birth of Jesus. I loved it. Of course, the idea of the incarnation, which is the fancy word for how Jesus became man, was moving to me as a Christian and as a man of faith. But I, I love the beauty of it in the scriptures. In fact, I hope you'll read it uh, in, in the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I, ho- I hope you'll take time and find those sections in the Bible to read that during this Christmas season. But the beauty of an angel appearing to a virgin, uh, probably only 14, 15 years old in Nazareth and being told she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And then immediately conflict happens, right? She's engaged to a man. And what does he understand about her becoming pregnant by the Holy Spirit? And so, God has to give this man she's engaged to, a man named Joseph, a dream so he'll understand. And then, of course, they probably dealt with questions from the surrounding community. You know what I'm talking about. A, a young girl, not married, turns up pregnant. I mean, people were talking. It happens in every kind of community. And adding to all of that and all of those pressures and tensions is the fact that uh, the emperor of the Roman Empire required everybody to return to their hometown, the town they were born in, uh, to be part of a census. So Joseph and Mary have to get up. She's pregnant. She's uncomfortable. Uh, riding, uh, she's riding a donkey while Joseph walks. And they go from Nazareth to Bethlehem, which isn't that far of a journey. But man, if you're on the back of a donkey and you're pregnant, that's a long trip. They get to Bethlehem and and then it's crowded because everybody's there for the census and their family doesn't have room for them. So they end up, at least for a while, uh, living in a manger. And that technically means the feeding trough where you'd put the hay or the oats for the animals. And so that's probably where Jesus was laid when he was first born and the family was there in a manger and they had to stay in Bethlehem for maybe as much as two years. And that's where the wise men would have come to meet them. I love all of this story and it's beautiful. 
And I could talk about that at length, but I want to talk about how we got our current Christmas celebrations, because I think there's a great deal we can embrace and enjoy and not be offended by, even in the midst of the materialism of our modern Christmas celebrations. So how did we land on December 25th? How in the world uh, did the birth of Jesus, uh, the date of which we don't know specifically, how did it land on December 25th? Well, uh, in the days of the Roman Empire, the empire in which Jesus was born, uh, there was a celebration every 25th of December, which was a celebration of the sun god. It was called the Feast of Saturnalia. And Romans gave gifts and put up colorful lights and had special trees and much feasting. And it's very likely that as the Christians began to grow in number and them not wanting to worship the sun god, that that would have been pagan idolatry to them, that they began to take over that day. And when everybody else in the Roman Empire was worshiping the sun god, uh, they worshiped their god. Uh, they worshiped Jesus. They honored his incarnation, the birth of the Christ. By the way, there's a pretty strong tradition that much of what happens in the biblical story of the birth of Jesus happened probably around that time, around the time that we now know of as December 25th. Uh, for example, it used to be that some scholars said, well, you, you, you couldn't have be anywhere close to December 25th with the birth of Jesus because the angels went out to some shepherds and, and announced the birth of Jesus shortly after it happened. And they were with their flocks in the fields, and the, field, the flocks would only be in the fields during the summer months. Well, Jewish scholars have come along and said, you know, that's not true. The flocks for the temple sacrifices were in the fields year round. And so it's very possible that this could have happened uh, during the winter months that the early Christians chose. And by the way, doesn't it make sense that angels would announce the birth of the Lamb of God? to those tending the sheep, the lambs that would have been the temple sacrifices under the old covenant system of sacrifices. So anyway, that's how we got December 25th. Christians began to celebrate the birth of Jesus during a Roman pagan holiday called the Feast of Saturnalia. So that's how we got that date. We don't know the specific date, but that doesn't reduce the meaning of it, and it's been celebrated on the 25th of December ever since. Well, now some folks say, well, how in the world did Santa Claus get mixed into all of this? I mean, when we come around to December 25th, every store, everybody's got pictures of Santa Claus up and, and people are visiting Santa Claus in the mall and all of that kind of thing. Well, this is an interesting backstory because the man that is now known as Santa Claus, and especially in the United States where those words are used, was originally a very godly, very noble Christian. Christian bishop. His name was Nicholas, and he lived in a city called Myra uh, in what is now Turkey. And he was a very strong Christian. In fact, he endured a great deal of persecution. And when many of his friends and fellow Christian leaders were killed, he survived. 
And he was known to be a good and a, and, a, and a generous man. He was from a wealthy family. For example, there's one story from his life that there were some young girls of a poor man who were uh, without a dowry. This was money that the father of girls being married paid to the bride to make the, um, the wedding happen and to pay the expenses and so on. But this poor father didn't have a dowry, didn't have any money so that his girls could be married. And it meant that they would live in poverty and may even have to live lives of shame. So Bishop Nicholas, uh, who again was from a wealthy family, put three bags of money into the hands of the father so his three daughters could be married. And in fact, the symbol for Bishop Nicholas throughout history has been three little bags of coins, the coins he gave to this father so the daughters could be married. So he was a good man. He was a generous man. And by the way, early in history, this St. Nicholas uh, or Bishop Nicholas was always pictured in bishop's clothes. Bev and I have in our home around Christmas a little figurine of the original, as much as we know, about the original Bishop Nicholas. And he's carrying a shepherd's crook. Looks like a big cane with a hook at the top. You know that shepherds would use this to pull their sheep out of trouble or corral them in the right direction. And so since bishops were shepherds of the flock, uh, they often carried a shepherd's crook, a bishop's crook. Um, he was dressed in the clothing of a bishop for his of his era, about 400 AD. So this was the, always the image that he was a Christian bishop and a godly man. And he was there at some of the early church councils and so on. And so uh, a good man, a man to be remembered. And his feast day in the church, the day that people remembered him and celebrated his legacy, was on December the 6th. So it makes sense that in time, over the years, that eventually the remembrance of this godly bishop, Nicholas, was merged in with the uh, celebration of the birth of the Christ. I mean, it may be a little bit of a leap for us today, uh, but that's how it happened in terms of time. So, we're really grateful for this godly bishop, and it's interesting how he evolved over time. Uh, the Dutch word for St. Nicholas was Sinterklaas, and the Dutch probably brought that to the American colonies, and the English in the colonies would have pronounced that St. Claus or Santa Claus. That's how we got it. But he's known by various names around the world. In England, St. Nicholas is known as Father Christmas. In Russia, he's the grandfather, he's Grandfather Frost. In France, he's known as Père Noël. And so different nations have different names for him, but all of it stems from this bishop who served Jesus, who survived persecution, and who was generous and led his people well at a time when the faith was expanding around the world. So, where did some of the other myths come from? We know where the story of the birth of Jesus came from. We know where the idea of uh, Bishop Nicholas came from. All that works. But how did we get a fat guy coming down chimneys and reindeer and all that kind of thing? Well, these are myths that are added over time, added to the pure original story over time. For example, in the early 1800s, there was a famous cartoonist named Thomas Nast, and some of the older ones and well-read ones listening to me will know that Thomas Nast was a, was a guy who first created the Republican and Democrat elephant and donkey and those symbols, and he wrote 
drew cartoons criticizing the corruption at a place called Tammany Hall and so on. Well, he began to draw pictures of Santa Claus as the big fat guy in the red suit with the big beard and uh, began to create that image, which was, by the way, later picked up by Coca-Cola ads. <laughs> and it became the popular Western image of who Santa Claus is, particularly in the United States. So Santa Claus, St. Nicholas, went from being a bishop uh, and dressed as a bishop with a shepherd's crook and in bishop's clothing to more of this jolly elf, as people said later. So it was a cartoon that really did it and changed it in the popular mind. And then what about these other ideas of him coming down the chimney and so on? Well, a man by the name of Clement Moore in the late 1800s, well, actually early 1800s, uh, wrote a poem for children called Twas the Night Before Christmas. And you've you've heard it about how he winked and the jolly old elf and all of that. You've, you've read that poem. Well, this portrayed him as coming down chimneys and uh, et cetera. All the, all the kind of images we have of that popular image of Santa Claus came from there. Well, what about some of the other traditions? Uh, I, I, some of these traditions I just kind of laugh at, you know, like the idea of a fat man coming down the chimney. That's obviously a silly myth coming from a children's poem. But there are some aspects of our Christmas celebration which are deeply Christian, which I think are powerful. For example, how do we get Christmas trees and lights? Well, obviously, I've already said that in the Roman Empire for the Feast of Saturnalia, they would have used trees and lights and things of that nature. This was a common way of celebrating things. People even did it on birthdays and at weddings. But the reason that Christians embraced it so much and made it part of the Christmas celebration was that in about the 800s AD, there was a famous missionary to Germany whose name was Winfred. He was also known as Boniface. And he was ministering to the pagan tribes in what we now know as Germany. And those pagan tribes were worshiping the gods who lived in trees. In fact, they actually worshiped the trees themselves as embodiments of the gods that they worshiped. So Bonavis, a bold man from England, a missionary, um, decided that he would show that the trees had no power. And so he chopped down some of these trees that the pagan tribes worshipped, and then he preached the gospel to them. Well, in time, the way that Christians celebrated, particularly in the Germanic areas and in Central Europe, the way that they celebrated the birth of Jesus was by showing his victory over these pagan gods. And so they'd put greenery up and, and they'd put up trees and decorated all to the glory of God, basically almost like a trophy, almost by, like saying, hey, uh, demonic spirits and, and pagan mythologies used to worship these trees, but we now use them for the glory of Jesus Christ. And so when you put a Christmas tree up in your home uh, and you believe in Jesus, you know, you're not worshiping pagan gods. You're not, uh, you know, honoring some kind of spirit. You're remembering the victory of Boniface. I, I grew up in Germany and no one celebrates Christmas like Germans. I have a deep love of Germany, having lived there so much of my youth. My daughter-in-law is German. Uh, therefore, my grandson is German. And I, I feel a real affinity with the German culture and history. And uh, of course, this this story and the way that Germans decorate with greenery and with evergreens and so on really influenced my life. And it goes back to a victory for the gospel over pagan tribes in, the, in what is now Germany 
where there was a victory for the gospel. And I think it's a beautiful thing to do. Besides that, it's just physically beautiful. (laughs) And I love it. So obviously the giving of presents is an easy thing to understand in terms of Christianity and and Christmas. Uh, Jesus was given as a gift to mankind. People have always celebrated uh, the giving of gifts in connection with the birth of Jesus. And then of course, as I've said, Bishop Nicholas was so generous with his time and his money and his ministry that the giving of gifts became associated with Christmas and the the tradition of Santa Claus and the merging of Christmas uh, with that memory of Bishop Nicholas. And so we have a lot of beautiful traditions and the feasting and giving of gifts and putting up of lights, uh, all of this to celebrate the glory of God. Again, some will say, well, hey, that was pagan first. Yeah, but then the Christians came along and said, hey, let's use that for higher purposes. Let's use it for a greater truth. Let's use it for the knowledge of the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the giving of gifts and the putting up trees and the putting up of lights, all of that was, to use the technical term, redeemed. It was used for different purposes. It was, it was employed for the glory of God. So I have to tell you that I love Christmas, not only for the reasons I've already told you, my childhood, and then also, of course, the fact that I'm a Christian. But, you know, some people, and especially some Christians, can get kind of sour about Christmas and how it's become commercialized and so on. But, you know, I look at it in a more positive light. Christmas is a time when, as a Christian, the whole world is thinking about the themes that are dear to me. The whole world's talking about Jesus. The whole world is singing hymns. Uh, The whole world is giving gifts and celebrating. And even if they don't know why they're doing it, they're using Christian symbolism. Uh, I have Jewish friends, dear Jewish friends, who say to me, Merry Christmas. Uh, they don't believe in the Jesus I believe in, but they are, they are, have no problem honoring my faith in Jesus and, and wishing me a, a happy feast of the Christ, so to speak. I love the fact that people all over the world, believers and non-believers, are singing about Jesus and singing our songs, so to speak. When, when someone sings joy to the world, they sing the line, He came to make the blessings flow far as the curse is found. What a powerful truth. What a powerful truth. And that's on the radio, and that's being sung in malls, and that's being sung in churches. And so I love the fact that our themes are front and center. When someone sings Silent Night, Joy to the World, O Little Town of Bethlehem, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, they're singing about the gospel. They're singing about our truths. And when somebody gets dressed up as Santa Claus and goes in the mall and talks to children and so on, they're just reenacting the life and some of the symbolism of Bishop Nicholas. So, I think we ought not be killjoys. And I realize I'm talking in this podcast a little bit more to Christians than than to my broader audience. Thank you for the rest of you (laughs) being patient with me. But I I think we ought not be killjoys. I think we ought to embrace Christmas. We don't have to embrace the materialism. We don't have to embrace the excess. Uh, Sure, there'll be people over drinking, overeating, etc. Sure, there's crass materialism uh, urged by a lot of the companies that market to us. But we're all mature enough and strong enough to resist those tides. Take Christmas in hand. Make it meaningful. Make it a time of celebrating God and his grace in Jesus Christ. Uh, Make it a time of loving family. 
I'll tell you what, I just bring you back to my opening story. Again, I'm a boy raised in, a, in the home of an army officer, and we moved 14 times in my first 18 years. So often the house was strange. We were only going to be in a town we were living in maybe for a year. Uh, during some of those years, my father was away in Iran and in Korea and in Vietnam. So they were a little bit lonelier Christmases, but always it was the tradition Always it was Christmas and Easter and the the rituals we had as a family. And I want to urge you to build memorable rituals in the Christmas season. It's easy to do. They're encouraged on you. You know what the tradition of Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and so on. Make it a ritual. Make it something that's alive. Make it something that's God-filled. Make it something that's filled with love. My father uh, died many years ago, but when my brother and sister talk, we remember dad reading a selection from the New Testament. He wasn't even that much of a religious man, but he read from the New Testament and he, and he made desserts and he hugged all of us and he made Christmas special. And those are some of our, our, most, our favorite memories of our family life. So do the same. We're living through difficult, tumultuous times. It's a lonely era, an era of hatred and fragmentation. Why wouldn't we embrace a Christmas celebration that is about God and his grace and about giving and generosity and about feasting and about emphasizing the good that we have in this world? So a little bit about the traditions here. Make them your own. Don't be afraid of them. Some of them are strange. We can laugh at coming down the chimney. And, uh, you know, I don't want to really believe that a heavy guy in a red suit's coming into my house at, at three o'clock in the morning. But I certainly want to celebrate the grace of Jesus. Hey, Merry Christmas to you. Go make it big in the life of your family, in your own heart, certainly in the life of your children. And have a very Merry Christmas. Field is a New York Times bestselling author, a popular global speaker, and senior fellow for public leadership at Palm Beach Atlantic University. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and Lincoln's Battle with God. Learn more at stephenmansfield.tv.